Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. We thank you this morning for our mothers who who gave us life and... uh, for just the, the sweetness of them and, and caring for us when we could not care for ourselves. And uh, you know it's hard for some who uh, their mom is no longer here, and so we pray for comfort today. Uh, we just are, we're thankful for your goodness in giving us uh, good people around us who love us, who care for us. And, and so I just pray that the, the moms will be honored today uh, as, they're, as they're celebrated, that they get some rest, that the men would step up and, and, and let them get out this afternoon, but um, we're thankful for, again, for your goodness. Please help me one more time. The room's a little hot now, and I'm a little tired, but yet your word is true, and so please, by your spirit, help me to speak one more time to your people. I just want, Lord, your people to have hope. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to know of your goodness and your justice and your holiness, and so please help me to do that in a way that Jesus is honored, he is lifted high, uh, and your church is built. For his glory, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Again, now, William said it, but happy Mother's Day this morning. Glad you guys are here. Sorry it's so warm, but that's the way third service rocks, y'all. It was like 62 degrees in here at first service, and it's like 92 at third. So, but not too long. All right, the Beulah land is coming, y'all. So um, turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen. If you do, you can follow along. When I was in 11th grade, I did the unthinkable. I brought home two Ds, one in history, which is bad because my dad's a history guy, the other in math, which is not so big because no one cares about math, right? I mean, I'm just kidding. Three of y'all do, I know, all right? But, but the rest of the, the, the nine weeks is a blur, but I remember there was a broken table, and I remember I didn't drive for a long time. And that was for me, you know, varsity athlete. We used to have these things, guys, kids, called buses. They took you to school. I know now everyone doesn't ride these things anymore, but we rode these things, and I had to ride the bus with, like, third graders. There's this, all right, I'm sitting there. They got the little lunch. Hi, Bill. You know, I'm very, so that was, that's bad enough, right? So nine weeks later, I pulled them babies up to bees, and I'm gold. I get the truck back, and that's fine. No more bus. But the problem is this. I go off to college. I do my thing, you know. My brother comes along in high school. He gets two Ds, one of them in PE, mind you, which I don't even know how that happens. Okay, as a former PE teacher, that's wrong. What happens to him? Does he lose his truck? Nope. Does he get to ride the bus? Nope. Where is the justice in that, is what I'm thinking. Where I want him to ride the bus with the third graders. I want him to suffer like I suffered. It is just not fair, right? That's what I'm thinking. It's not fair. It's not just. That's what the people of Israel are thinking as we look at our text this morning, right? And we've all, been, we've all faced things that are not fair. Maybe little things. Maybe, you know, bad call in the game, right? Or you're driving on, on 16, and you're going 70. This guy's going 70, and you get the ticket, and he doesn't. You're like, where's the justice in that? Those are little things. Then there's big things. Some guy at the top makes dumb decisions, you lose your job, right? Um, you look around, you see Boko Haram stealing these poor little girls out of their families, and you're like, God, where's the justice in that? Why don't you deal with ISIS? They're killing our people. Why don't you deal with it, God? It's not, it's, it's not just. 
right? Those in our culture, if I say the name Jesus in public, I, I, I have to be quiet. But everyone else can say anything they want about my God. They can say anything they want about their God, and it's fine. But I have to keep my mouth shut. Where is the justice in that God? Why aren't you dealing with that? It's not fair. That's what we're going to look at today. Because what's, what's happened with the people of Israel is they have been arguing, it's not fair, it's not fair, and they've gotten bitter and angry with God, and they're blaming him now. And so he's going to come and answer and, and say, hey, l- let me deal with it. How do we deal with injustice? How do we deal with things not being fair? He's going to tell them in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 5. And here's, here's kind of where we've been. If you're new, you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we've been looking at Malachi. The people of Israel were exiled and now they are back into their land. They've rebuilt the temple. They have rebuilt their city. They've rebuilt the walls. But life is still not good. They're paying high taxes to a Persian king. They, the crops are not good. It's just not where they expected life to be. The priests are knuckleheads. And so basically, everyone's going through the religious motions, but there's no heart for God. It's cold orthodoxy. And so God sent Malachi to kind of get him out of that, to wake him up. And every time he points back to his greatness... Great is his love, we looked at first week. Great is his glory. Great is his justice today. Great is his faithfulness last week. All about how God is great so that they would wake up and see. And so he's going to answer, hey, you want to know about justice? Let me, let me tell you about it. So let me read our text in its entirety, and then we'll come back and kind of unpack it a little bit. Verse 17. Awful chapter divisions here, y'all. I don't know who did them. Some guy in like 1000 AD, he's riding a horse and he, oh, chapter three started. It's awful. But the, the, the chapter divisions are not original, so don't, don't just kind of follow along the flow of the text. Chapter two, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of evil and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swore falsely, against those who oppressed the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So he starts off with the accusation. Y'all have wearied the Lord with your words. He is tired, is the idea. Now, again, this is a figure of speech. The God of the universe does not get physically tired. He's like, man, I've been running this thing for like a billion years. I need a rest. That's not what he's saying. It's a figure of speech called anthropomorphism. Fancy word. Don't Google it because you're never going to hear it again, right? But here's what it means. You take attributes of human and you apply them to God. You see it constantly in the Old Testament where the eyes of the Lord move to and fro and the mighty hand of the Lord is outstretched and where God doesn't have this mega hand that's outstretched. It's a figure of speech for you to understand how he's feeling and what's going on. And what God has said is, y'all's words are wearying me. All right? What you're saying about me, it's making me tired. What are they saying? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. What they're saying is, God, you like bad guys. You like the bad guy. You're for the bad guy. You're for the Yankees. You're for the Dallas Cowboys, all right? These are the bad guys. 
You must be for them. Why? Because they look around at life and they see who's winning. The bad guys are winning. Right? Everyone who does bad is, 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 is winning. The Persians, they're wicked. They're in charge. Who's been charged before them? Babylonians, they're wicked. Who's in charge before them? Assyrians, they're wicked. God, you must be for the bad guy because the bad guy always wins. That's the first thing they're saying. Second thing they're saying is, where is the God of justice? God, if you're so just, if you're so holy, then why are you letting the bad guy win? He's always winning. Why don't, if you were just, he wouldn't be winning. But because he's winning, you must not be just. God says, that's weary. The bad guy winning, the good guy losing. You know what this is? This is, this is flashback, okay? Since it's Mother's Day, going old school, not going Star Wars or anything, we're going, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> Have you see, who has not seen It's a Wonderful Life? All right, so even Kane has seen It's a Wonderful Life, okay? He's seen three movies, White Man Can't Jump, Hoosiers, and one other. So you got to go see if Kane has seen it. And here's the gist of It's a Wonderful Life. You have good George Bailey. He is a good guy. Saves his brother's life, saves Mr. Gower from poisoning the little boy. He, he gives his honeymoon money away to save the building and loan. His brother goes off to school. He gets stuck. He's just a good guy, and he always loses. But then there's Potter, the bad guy. He's got all the money. He's got all the power. He's got all the authority. He always seems to be winning. He's bad, and yet he's winning. George is good, and yet he's losing. And yet, isn't that the way it looks like sometimes? You look in the world, it seems like the bad guy's winning. Why is ISIS winning? Right? Why are the people who oppose God seem to be winning? Why am I working hard at work, doing my job, extra overtime? This guy's watching YouTube videos. He gets promotion. I sit here. Why is my kid working hard, extra practice, respectful to coach? That soccer mom, she just kisses a little tail. Her kid plays. My kid sits the bench. It's not fair. It's not just. Right? Here I am. I got a good job. I'm working hard. I'm 26. I'm being pure. That guy, all he does is play video games. He hasn't showered in three weeks. He's got a girlfriend. I don't. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get out of debt. I'm trying to be a good steward. I'm trying to be faithful. That guy's racking up credit card debt. He seems to be getting all the fun, and I'm sitting over here, and I'm just like Mr. Eating, you know, ramen noodles. It's not fair. We could go on and on. It's not just. God, why don't you do something? Right? And, and here's the thing. God is okay with us asking questions. He's fine. There's all, half the Psalms are asking questions, God. Why did you let this happen, God? Where are you? He's okay with that. He's a big enough God to handle it. What he doesn't accept is accusations like these because they are wearying. And there's three reasons why this is offensive to God, to call him unjust and to say this. It attacks, it denies three things about God. Number one, it denies his sovereignty. Because what it's, it's no longer God on the throne judging man. It is man on the throne judging God and saying, if I was in charge, I would have dealt with this. If I was in charge, I would have been just. I would have been right. I would have given them what they deserve. It's a flipping of everything on its head. And here's the reality. If you were in charge, yes, you would have gotten even, but you wouldn't have been just, right? And the, and the hypocrisy is this. When I mess up, what do I want? And it's often. I want grace, I want mercy, I want love. When they mess up, what do I want? Justice. I want soccer mom's mini breaking down 515 on Duren. That's what I want. <laughs> I want 
his business to get investigated by IRS because he's putting me out of business because he's not being true. Right? I know there's a verse somewhere in the Bible about burning brains out with hot coals or something. I'm praying that. All right? I'm praying the hot, the hot coal verse for you. That's what I'm praying. It's not what it's about, by the way. But that's what we want. Aren't we glad? Where does Malachi 1 start? I have loved you. Aren't we glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve? I mean, let's be honest. You don't want what you deserve. right? We want grace, and God has given it to us. But they're denying his sovereignty. They're denying his character. They're saying he is evil, that he is not just, and the implication is I am. I am good. I am evil. I am just. And and again, God is okay with questions, but you can read the whole book of Job. It's all about questions. But in the end, when Job is like, why, 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 God says to Job, in no uncertain terms, who are you again? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Piece of clay? Piece of clay doesn't get to talk to the potter. And we know that God is good. It's not that he's not good. He can handle questions, but when you say God is not good, when he's not holy, it's wearying. It's a denial of his character, and it's a denial of his word. Because here, here's the logic of what they're going. This is ultimately why Malachi shows up. They are saying, well, if Potter is winning and George is losing, George is doing everything right, Potter's doing everything wrong, why should I do everything right? I mean, if it doesn't get me anywhere, if I can just do what I want, if I can deny the word, if I can just follow what I want to do, why should I keep being pure? Why should I keep being generous? Why should I keep being faithful when it doesn't get me anywhere? It's a denial of God's word. That's where they're at. They're saying, if the Persians are the wicked and they're doing fine, why don't I just be like the Persians? And, it, and it's wearying, and what it ends up being is bitterness. And so God is going to answer. He's going to respond to help them see kind of, what do we do with injustice? What do we do with Boko Haram? What do we do with all these things that happen? And, and here's, here's where he's going. Here's the gist of everything he, where he's going, a summary. In the words of Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. That's where he's going to go. If you walk out of the movie theater with George on the bridge about to jump in, you're going to walk away thinking, this is the worst movie ever. It's depressing. Bad guy wins. Good guy loses. Who wrote this thing? You got to wait till the end. Clarence will get his wings. Hark the Herald will be sung by all. Right? you got to wait till the end. And that's what, that's what God's going to say. Hey, I know it seems like bad guy's winning, but you got to wait till the end. So here's what he says. Look at verse 1. Behold, and it's the Hebrew word just see, look, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is a complex verse. Let me just kind of quickly unpack it. There's three different people identified or three different persons in this verse. You got you to identify who they are. You have the one that says, I send my messenger. I'm the sender. He's, it's the Lord of hosts at the end. Okay, That's one individual. The second individual is the my messenger, the one who will prepare the way. And then the third person is that word, the Lord, the Lord whom you seek. It's a different word from Lord at the end. The, word, the uncapitalized Lord is the Hebrew word Adon or Adonai. The capitalized Lord is Yahweh. Okay, so that's why it's capitalized in the English text. So you got three different people. Let's identify them. Who is the speaker, the one who says, I send my messenger? It's the Lord of hosts. It's Yahweh. In the New Testament vernacular, you would say it's God the Father. 
right? He is sending his messenger. Who is the messenger who will prepare the way before me? We don't have to wonder. He's called Elijah in chapter 4, verse 5. And in, in the Gospels, Scripture interprets Scripture, both in Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 1, this messenger is identified, and his name is Johnny B., right? In fact, he quotes this exact verse for John the Baptist, who will go and prepare the way. So we have God, we have John the Baptist. Who's the third person? Who's the messenger of the covenant? Who is the Lord whom you seek? Well, who is John the Baptist preparing the way for? Jesus the Messiah. So you have the Father, you have John the Baptist, and you have the Messiah all spoken of in the same verse. And he says this, big picture. How am I going to deal with injustice? I am going to send the messenger of the covenant. I am going to send the Messiah who will suddenly come to his temple. Now, here's the question we got asked. Was there ever a point in Christ's life when he just suddenly appeared in a dramatic fashion in the temple? And the answer is no, not yet. And what you have often in Old Testament prophecy is you have an initial fulfillment and then you have a delay with a further fulfillment down the road. It's kind of like you look out and you see a mountain range. And from a distance, it just looks like one big mountain or one big mountain range. But when you get close, you realize this peak is in front and there's another peak and it's like 10 miles away. From a distance, it all looks like one, but when you get close, you see, oh, wait, there's a big gap in the middle. That's this prophecy. The first peak is John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way. The second peak is this messenger is going to suddenly come into his temple. At the second coming of Christ, he will come into his temple. Here's the problem. There's no temple right now. All there is is a mosque. But if you read the book of Revelation, you read the book of 2 Thessalonians, you'll see that during a tribulation period, you've got an antichrist, there's going to be a temple rebuilt, there's going to be a couple more witnesses come up that are like Elijah in Revelation 11, and I'm not trying to get all Nikolai Carpathia, John Hagee with dragons on you, so don't, get, don't lose me. Here's the big picture. All right, some of you are like, what's Nikolai Carpathia? Go read the Left Behind series, all right? The big picture is, what does God say he's going to, how's he going to deal with injustice? I'm going to send my son who first time he came, he came humble and quiet and in a manger. Second time he comes, it won't be on a little donkey. He's going to come with the armies of heaven dressed in white and a sword in his mouth, and he will deal with it. And he says in verse 2, who can stand? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? The answer is nobody. Nobody. When he comes to set up his kingdom, nobody can stand. None who oppose him. And he's going to do two things. Two things are going to happen. He's going to cleanse and purify his people when he comes back, and then he is going to judge the unrighteous. And that's what verses 2 through 5 say. Let me look at it real quick. Verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them with like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. When he comes back, he's going to take all his people and he's going to wash them clean, just like a fuller soap, like a launderer's soap. He's going to wash us up. With, just with spiritual soap, we have, you know, realize that the soap industry is like booming. In a, we got soap for everything, right? Every house, every sink by your house has a little, except for single guys, has like a little thing, <laughs> a soap. All the ladies in the house have what in your purse? Hand sanitizer, right? You got soap. We got them on the walls. You got soaps for floors, soap for counters, soap for windows, and you can't mix and match, y'all. Single men, you cannot mix and match. Try it once. Only newlywed, ran out of the little dishwasher tabs, looked on the 
counter, it said dish soap. I'm thinking dishes, there's dishes, and soap. Put that thing in the dish. Not good. Not good. But the problem with our soap is that you need soap for soap. I mean, they have soap to wash away the dirt from soap. It's, it doesn't finish the job. When Jesus returns, he is going to be, the work that he began, he will complete it in the day of Christ. So you, if you have put your faith in Christ, you're forgiven of your sin, everything you've ever done, everything you did today, everything you'll ever do. You are forgiven from it, but you still struggle and you still wrestle. When he returns, he is going to take sin out of the picture altogether. You won't struggle with sin. You won't even be thinking. You won't be tempted. You won't have to be on your guard. You won't have to worry. You won't have to confess anything. He is going to remove sin from the picture, and he is going to wash you, and he's going to put white linen on you. You know why? Because we have a wedding to attend, our wedding, the bride of Christ. What do you wear to a wedding? You wear white. He's going to clothe us and wash us and cleanse us, and he's going to refine us like a refiner who takes impure metal and he adds heat and he takes the dross off, and it's going to be pure. He is going to cleanse his people, Ephesians 5, so that he presents him, his bride as clean and pure before him. That's what he does for us. But what about for those who do not know him? He says in verse 5, so I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift against the sorcerers adulterers, those who lie, those who oppress, those who thrust aside the sojourner, those who don't fear me. He will cleanse his people. He will judge the wicked. And, and, he, and it looks, again, it looks like the bad guy's winning. Think all these false religions, all this, all this terrorist, they're, they're getting away with it. They will not get away. You think, oh, Hugh Hefner, the adulterers, they're just living it up and doing their thing and no one cares and it's all no big deal. One day, there will be justice. The Hitlers of the world, you think, oh, he just got off easy. He, he, he just you know, got off easy in his little bunker there. He did not get off easy. The Stalins of the world, the Boko Harams of the world, the King John Il, or whatever his name is of the world, who oppress the people of God, the guy who steal, the Ponzi scheme guy, you think I got away, ran off with the money, the guy who fired you unjustly, the soccer mom, Everybody is linked in. One day, soccer moms are the worst, y'all. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> right? Don't let that minivan fool you. But in the end, those who do not know Christ will stand before him, and he says, I'll be swift. It looks like they're getting away. It looks like everything, it looks like it's unjust. And look, if you understand the New Testament, it's going to get worse. But he says, I am just. This is time, Peter says, for judgment to begin with the household of God. It's our time to face the judgment. But if, if, it's, if it's with barely, it's scarcely, the scripture says, that the righteous is saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? Jesus will come and he will deal with it. That, that's what he says. And so we wait. Wait, till after, wait for the credits. That's the response of God. You think it's unjust. You think Persia's going to get off. You think Babylonia's going to get off. You think all the... He says, wait. And, and what I want to do is this. I, waiting is no fun. I'm not a waiter. I don't like waiting. You know my issues with waiting. But let me give you just four things, just practical, hopefully, things for us as we look and see, man, it's not fair. God, why don't you do something? Let me give you four things, four takeaways for us this morning as we wait all right, here's the first one. Run your race and circle your. 
right? Your race, the race that's set before you. Yesterday, one of my kids, I won't sell him out, but it was one of the boys, came up and said, you know, so-and-so, he's getting chips ahoy and blah, blah, blah. He's telling me about cookies. And I'm like, and last night you were eating peppermint patties like they were Tic Tacs. Okay, so let's just, you worry about you is what I'm always telling. You worry about you. There's this great line in The Horse and His Boy from the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan is constantly asked um, about, you know, what is about this and what about this? And Aslan says this, I am telling you your story, not theirs. No one is told any story but their own. It's the same thing Jesus tells Peter. On the, on the beach there in John 21, Peter's like, he tell, Jesus tells him, you're going you're gonna to die one day for me. And he says, well, what about John? What's going to happen to John? Sounds like the cookies. Does John get cookies? And he says, if I give him cookies or not, you don't need to worry. You follow me. And the encouragement for you this morning is you run your race. Some of you think you're Christian Avengers. You're like Thor with your Christian hammer, and you got to go make justice everywhere I go. Woo! You are not Christian Thor. <laughs> right? It's hard enough to run your race. This should be a great weight for some of you off your shoulders. You don't have to. You're gonna st- every single one of us is going to stand before Jesus one day, not for our sin, because we've been putting our, we put our faith in Christ, but Romans 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 3, all these affirm this. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. But you will, you will stand there for your race, not for your Uncle Charlie's, not for your neighbors, for you. So you run the race. God has given you a calling, and it's not Billy Graham's calling, so don't, you, don't have, you won't be judged on Billy Graham's curve. It's you, your calling, your gifts, God, the things God's given you, the things God's called you to do. That's where you're at. So you don't have to worry about everyone. Just run your race. And remember, the grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. So start watering, right? Put a little, put a little seed, sow into, sow into the Spirit and, and water. Run your race. That's what Jesus did. He ran the race set before him, fixing his eyes on the joy set before him. So just run your race. Encourage each other as we're all running, but you run your race. Here's the second thing. Don't give up. We live in a Christian defeatism age. Here's what I see in the church. Well, I'm just such a bad person. Always sinning and sinning and sinning, and I can't do it. Is it even worth it anymore? What we are is a bunch of Christian Eeyores. Mm. Lost my tail again. Woe is me. Did Jesus conquer the grave, yes or no? Then you don't have to walk around like a Christian Eeyore. If your tail falls off, put it back on and stop whining because you have a victorious Savior. And you know how the story ends. I'm not worried in the middle of It's a Wonderful Life. Is Potter going to really do it? Is he going to do it? I know Clarence gets his wings. I know Hark the Herald Angels Sing is coming. I know everyone's throwing money at George and Zuzu's pedals are there. I know because I've seen the whole thing. You know what happens, right? Your king won for you, and you're on his team. So stop whining. Stop giving in. Is it hard to love your knucklehead neighbor? Yeah. Is it hard to to listen to your boss who's taking credit for your work and it's not fair? Is it hard? Yeah, that's why Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. The implication is it gets hard. It gets hard waking up four times a night feeding a baby and changing diapers. That's hard. 
It gets hard working 65, 70 hours a week and not complaining. It's hard to love your enemies. Oh, is it hard. But he says this, in due season, you will reap if you don't give up. If you don't give up. So don't give up. Because Jesus promises that he will reward a hundredfold for everybody who's given up anything for his name, for the gospel. You leave father and mother, you do anything for me, I promise I will a hundredfold reward you in the kingdom. A hundredfold. Every little thing that you've done in the name of Christ that no one else sees, not the big stuff, every little thing, every dollar you gave to that guy that no one else knows about, every time you volunteered to serve in the two-year-old nursery, every little text that you sent to your kids to encourage them, every time you got on your knees and prayed for that person who is hurting, every glass of water that you volunteered, you kind of served, every time you woke up for that little kid and changed the diaper and, and sang him back to sleep, Jesus misses nothing. Nothing he does he miss. And he says, I will reward you. And you, when you stand before him and you look into the eyes of your king and you hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. I have something for you. I have an inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It hasn't faded away. It's been reserved here for you by me. I want you to enjoy this forever. I want you to enjoy me forever. I promise you, at that point, it will be worth it. So do not give up. Do not quit. Don't be a Christian Eeyore. Right? It's worth it. On the authority of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, I tell you it is worth it. Right? Here's a third thing, is be ready. And this is a hard one. Because if I tell you to be ready at 3 o'clock, I'm coming to get you, you're going to be ready. If I say be ready, and you've been waiting for 2,000 years, a little harder. But that's the heart of the New Testament. Be ready. Jesus says, be ready. Well, it's been 2,000 years. I know, be ready. He says, keep, keep your candle wicks, get them ready. Be ready, be looking. Peter says this, you're waiting for these, being diligent to be found with him. It's, it's this idea of readiness. First John says, with, if you abide in him when he appears, you won't shrink away like some will because they're ashamed. Be ready. Here, here's the thing. If I told you I had a vision, Jesus is coming back next Friday. I didn't have that vision, and don't say that I did, and I don't want to end up on CNN or something later on. Yeah, prophet fails again. But let's just say I know. I know that Jesus come back next Friday. What would be different in your life? And I'm not saying, oh, you go buy the Lamborghini because you don't have to pay for it. I'm not saying that, okay? Because <laughs> I know some of you are like, yeah, let's go, California. All right, no, if you were going to be accountable, how would, would you go and tell someone you're sorry? that you haven't talked to in a long time? Um, would you watch things that you've been watching, knowing that next Friday? What, how, how generous would you be? Would, be? would there be someone you've been praying for? Would there be someone that you want to go talk to, tell about Christ? What would be different? Being ready means you do this now. That's what being ready means. Because it could be next Friday, and it could be in a million Fridays, and we don't know, but we're to be ready. Because the only reason Christ has not come back, you know why he hasn't come back? It's not that he's slow. It's not that he's bored. He is patient with you. 
He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repeat, reach repentance. That's the only reason, because God loves people so much, he's waiting. So be ready, right? That's what we want to be. We want to just be ready. We, we want to be surprised, but not ashamed as a church. Right? And here's the last one. It's my favorite, is we need to be excited. All right, and we get excited. We're going on vacation in a couple weeks. We're pumped. We've been planning a bit. We've been talking about it. We're excited. That's good. Some of you are getting married. Some of you are graduating. You're excited. I remember confession, and I'm thinking, when I'm in seminary, Lord, please don't come back until after seminary, because at least I want to walk the stage, right? I just want to get through this. Uh, 2008, Lord, wait till after the World Series and we win, and then you can come back. Right now, I'm thinking, Lord, it'd be great to do two services, right? Come back after the building's done, right? Then it'll be great. But anything that we're looking forward to, as good as it is, it pales into comparison when Christ comes back. Do you realize that? It pales. It has to because he is good. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Any pleasure that's down here is just a, it's a, it's just a little shadow of the pleasure of heaven. And so if we know that's where we're going, we ought to be excited. In fact, the response to the New Testament, you know what it always is when it talks about Christ's return? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. Maranatha, Lord. Even so come. Because you're never going to cry again, and he's going to make every wrong right, and you're never going to be worried, and you're, never, you're just going to enjoy Christ forever. And don't think you're just going to be sitting on a cloud playing a violin or a harp, and that's heaven. That's not heaven. Heaven is you're living your life for God in every moment, and you're going to have work, and you're going to have cities, and there's going to be kingdom, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be the way it was supposed to be. And God's people are supposed to say, even so come, Maranatha, Lord. We're supposed to love his appearing because Paul says when we love it, there's a crown of, of righteousness for us. And we're supposed to look for and hasten the coming of Christ. That's why we sang. So, so let's get excited about it. When you sing in a few minutes, sing like you're a little bit excited. Because you would hate to be lip syncing and Jesus return. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Looking at your watch and oh, the trumpet sound and here we go, right? We want to enjoy each other, and we want to enjoy Christ. We want to be ready. That's what I want for this church. Is it hard out there? Yes. Is it just? Not always, but it will be, because I know how it ends. He's like, well, I, I can't, I don't really, are you sure? Here's how I know that God is just. Ultimately, and we'll close with this. He killed his son for me so that I could be with him forever. He is just, and he is justifier. He is just in that he punished sin on his own son, and he's justifier in that he gives me his righteousness. That's how I know that he will finish what he began. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ. I promise you on his authority. So church, let's be ready. Let's be excited. Let's run our race, and let's not give in. Because the God of justice will come. And our response is, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Why don't you guys stand and we'll pray and we'll sing and we'll worship. Father, I thank you for your promise that you will come in your son, that he will set up a kingdom, that he will rule and reign forever and ever, and we will have forever be with the Lord. We look around and we'll be reunited with those who have gone ahead of us. First Thessalonians promises that we will see them. There'll be a great reunion. There'll be a great celebration. And some of us, even on Mother's Day, that's, we long for that. But Lord, until that day, may we be found ready, running our race, not 
defeatist Christians because you have won the victory for us. So we trust you. And our response to the church is, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune thy heart to sing thy grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.